Blog Talk Radio. social media is chilling either. Um, It is Tuesday, uh, February the 4th. It's the day after the giant Iowa fiasco. And uh, uh, this is Progressive News Network, and I'm your host, Brooke Hines, and I'm very glad that you are tuning in to uh, commiserate with me tonight. We are taking uh, calls. Uh, I'll I've got some stuff to share. I'll probably do that for about a half hour, 45 minutes. Start calling in. If you are so inclined, if you are listening via the uh, link on Blog Talk Radio, the number should be at the top. Uh, I'm getting ready to give that out to you. But here's the thing. When you call in, you have to press one. So you call the number, and it says, hi, and they welcome you. Press num press one on your phone and then you'll hear the nice lady say you are now in the host queue and then you know that you're where you need to be because then I can see you and I can bring you up um let me give you the number as we sit here the number is 909-265-9104 again if you want to call in uh call in after about and I'll say 6:45. The number is 909-265-9104, and that will uh, and then press one once you call, and wait for the nice lady to say you are not, you are now in the host queue, and I will be able to bring you up. Uh, so last night we did a, a Progressive News Network extra in anticipation of the Iowa caucus. And I was a little nervous then. I had some anxiety that I shared with you guys. Um, and I and and in the hopes that we could kind of codependently like work through it. Um, it didn't help, didn't help me. I was I continued the entire night. It just got worse, and I'm sure it got worse for you too, because there was a sick feeling about, you know, an hour or so into where we should have started to have returns. And we weren't getting returns. And it wasn't apparent uh, uh, right off the bat that that was weird or that there was a problem there. But it became obvious when candidates started giving uh, victory speeches or quasi-victory speeches. Now, Pete Buttigieg gave a full-blown victory speech. But the first person to take the stage was Amy Klobuchar. And Amy Klobuchar got up there uh, giving what I would call a speech that uh, you would give if you came in like third place. 
you know, we're punching above our weight and we're, we're, we're taking the fight to New Hampshire. You know, that, that, that kind of, that's the kind of thing a, a third placer says. The uh, bronze medalist might say that. Uh, but Pete Blitigich, he took a different, he took a different approach. And I want to share two pieces with you tonight. And the first piece is by Isaac, uh, Edward Isaac DeVere. And usually we know DeVere from writing hit pieces on progressives. And however, this piece that he wrote on the audacity is called the audacity of Pete. And this is in the Atlantic. Uh, released uh, early, uh, this morning around lunchtime, 11.43 a.m., uh, two, three. This was today. No, no, no. This was today. I'm looking at the date on it just to make sure, but this had to be today because he's talking about the uh, election. So this was a, a, a quick release, and then there's this fortuitous article by a, a writer I love, uh, Corey, Corey Pine, writing in The Baffler. And he has a piece called Class Carpetbagger, Pete Buttigieg's Comedy of Class Signaling Errors. And what I want to do is, is I want to go through what, what we saw last night and uh, kind of move through these two articles, because I think that there is the, uh, the second explains a lot in the first. And I think you need both of them for a clear understanding of what we saw last night, because it didn't make a lot of sense to a lot of us. Uh, first of all, where are we at right now? We, uh, we know that as of five o'clock, the first partial results uh, were supposed, partial results were supposed to be in and put out by the Iowa Democratic Party. Um, and I believe they put out at somewhere at 60% of the, uh, of the, um, vote tally. So these are not complete. These are, these are absolutely not complete tallies. We don't know what, what is going on with, with the tallies. This should be fairly easy just to count heads and to count who realigned and this and that. But what happened was there's this software application uh, created by <laughs> created by a group called Shadow, the Shadow Group, which happens to be a bunch of Hillary campaign uh, staffers or Hillary campaign ex-staffers. And these are people who were on digital and doing tech work, and they formed this, this company, uh, Shadow. They do some text messaging. They do some uh, you know, different kinds of, you know, the kind of tools that you would use in, in a campaign, uh, scheduling meetings, I'm sure, stuff like that. But they were also engaged to create an app that all of the uh, uh, captains, all of the caucus captains would be using to, to report their votes. And the problem arose that nobody could uh, Nobody could sign in to this app. And so uh, then they started trying to call in and the phones were busy for 40 minutes and an hour. There was this one remarkable episode, a remarkable thing that happened where there was one 
carcass camp captain who was on the phone with Wolf Blitzer on CNN and talking about how he had been on hold for an hour trying to report his numbers and nobody was answering the phone. And while they were talking, while CNN was broadcasting this conversation between Wolf Blitzer and this caucus captain, the, the Iowa Democratic Party actually picks up the phone. And they pick up the phone and they say hello. And it should have been obvious that there was a three-way call going on and, and that uh, Wolf Blitzer and the caucus captain were finishing up. Uh, and the person says hello and they say hello again as if they couldn't hear them and then just hung up. That moment, I think, for a lot of people has become emblematic for the whole evening. That is the kind of, of um, messing up. Or, um, you know, this is this is what uh, my 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 friends uh, who live for lucky enough to live in Europe, you know, they 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 like to stay cocked up, and I feel like that is a much better way of describing this whole mess. Cocked up. It sounds like something that only a a never mind. It's you get you get my drift. Um, so Bernie Sanders releases some numbers last night and he also uh uh went out today with uh, i'm going to bring this up for you he went out today with uh um his spokesperson and this is what this is what the bernie sanders campaign had to say earlier today regarding these uh these vote tallies here we go Senator sanders with 29.08 Mayor Buttigieg with 21.63, Senator Warren. 29.8, y'all. 29.8, and Buttigieg is about five points behind. I'll let you, I'll continue. 19.51, Senator Klobuchar with 12.27, and, and Vice President Biden at 12.04. Okay, did you hear that? Klobuchar is, is over. Sorry. Klobuchar was, is doing better than Biden. So a lot of people, uh, as of last night, and these numbers that the Bernie Sanders campaign has been talking about, have uh, they've, they've put the number of reporting caucus precincts at 40%. So there's a lot of precincts that have yet to be added into the mix. You've got 40% being reported by the Sanders campaign. You have 60 some percent now being reported by uh, the um, the uh, Iowa Democratic Party, uh, but you don't have any complete, complete totals um, looking for I am looking for the most recent tally. Let's see if I can find it really fast for you. Um, there we go. I follow um, political polls at P polling numbers, and they're pretty good at getting out the information as it comes. And here they have the popular vote in the first alignment. You've got Sanders, uh, at 28,220. Okay, the first alignment is 27,088. And then he picks up 
he picks up uh, a, looks like 1,200 more in the, in the final alignment. And then you have Buttigieg in the first alignment at 23,666, and in the final alignment, 27,030. Uh, Warren is next, then Biden in fourth, and then Klobuchar in fifth behind Biden. Now, this is just with 62% reporting in the popular vote. And we talked last night about how the math between the popular vote and the way that they assign delegates has changed since last year. And Steve Kornacki did a really decent piece about that yesterday um and uh let me see if i can find that for you because in 2016 the large counties uh, that are urban like urban iowa you know how whatever that means urban iowa and the college towns those are the large caucusing uh, precincts that's where all of the the big masses of numbers are and then the rest of Iowa is very rural, as you might imagine, and people are kind of spread out. And they changed the math pretty much to favor more the folks in the rural areas than the people in the urban areas, which I think is a, a, a very, I guess a very transparent way to, to address how close the election was in 2016 between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Um, I think that there's, I think that that's a little bit dirty, you know. So they changed the math from, uh, it was something like 41% down to 32 or 34% in the uh, final equation. Point being that the popular vote does not count as much now as it had in the past. Here's that Kornacki clip, by the way. Feel of this divide, 65 plus. It's Biden suddenly who's nearly at 40. It is Sanders who's suddenly in single digits. That's key, obviously, because which one of these groups is going to be represented more in the turnout. But it's also key because of something you were talking about earlier, and that is the new thing they're doing in Iowa this year. Usually in the past, here's your 2016 result. The winner of Iowa, it's been very simple. It's been the winner of the state delegate equivalent count. Hillary Clinton got 701 state delegate equivalents. Sanders got 697 and 16. This year, as you mentioned, they're also releasing the raw vote, the popular vote, who people are with when they first show up. Why is that so key or potentially key with those young old numbers I just showed you? Take a look at some of the best counties for Bernie Sanders in Iowa in 2016. Winnesheet County up here, Johnson County down here, Jefferson County, Story County. Uh, these are college, oh, Blackhawk County. These are college counties. Those 18 to 39 or 18 to 29, really, they are heavily populated in these areas. If you add in Polk or Des Moines, these six counties accounted for 41% of the turnout in the 2016 caucuses. But based on the formula that's used by the Iowa Democratic Party to get the state delegate equivalents, they only account this year for 32% of the delegates. So it's a little bit of an electoral college popular vote dynamic we've talked about. So from 41% to 
for those urban areas, for those for those more densely populated areas, and definitely areas that have uh, younger populations around the universities, the way that they're weighting the popular vote is from 42% down to 30, 41% down to 32%. So they're shaving off nine points of, I guess you would call it points of importance. Uh, so, so, so they're reweighting it. They're, 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 um, you know, doing some funny math. There have been some reports that this funny math is part of what tripped people up in reporting their numbers from the first round to the second round. Uh, I, I don't know how true that is. I feel like if you've got a worksheet in front of you and you've got uh, training and, and you know what, you know, you know what you're doing. Uh, I feel like you can muddle through it. Um, says the person who pretty much can't do math to save her life, but you know, there, there you have it. Um, so today, today, what's different from today from yesterday and, you know, yesterday, my anxiety was stemming from the, uh, uh, anticipation of what was getting ready to happen and it came out of nowhere I mentioned that you know I woke up feeling fine and and pretty confident that it's the Iowa caucus it's pretty boring it just sort of happens you get the numbers and you move on well no this one was not pretty boring instead of getting those numbers and and moving on you know and the point of Iowa by the way is to get the media narrative Iowa doesn't have a lot of delegates. It's it's all about the momentum. It's all about the storytelling coming out of that caucus. And so what happened here really is that the Iowa Democratic Party and this uh, shadow group, <laughs> there's nothing else to call them actually, this, the, the, the shadow group, the app people, uh, didn't report the numbers and still aren't reporting the numbers, which makes it so that people can't claim victory or they shouldn't claim victory because um, they actually did claim victory. Uh, if you go to the Audacity of Pete article, and I know you guys saw this last night, if you were watching it the, the way that we were watching it, uh, the, the first thing on the top of everyone's minds is what in the hell does Pete Buttigieg think that he's doing going on television and full on declaring victory? I mean, really? That's that's it, it seems very like uh like like you're gonna lose some friends for that. You know, it it it, it, it kind of seems like like he's on survivor and and his attitude is I didn't come here to make friends. <laughs> So, so, so here's what Pete Buttigieg says uh, in it, when, when they started doing the victory speeches. And by the way, as we were uh, taking all of this in, I was on uh, uh, internet Twitter duty. My husband was doing Twitter. We had uh, YouTube and MSNBC. We're flipping between YouTube, MSNBC, and CNN on the television, which if you don't already do that, you should do that. And be sure to throw in YouTube so that you can catch 
uh, the Young Turks and Jimmy Dore and 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 David Dole, Rational National, and uh, you know other folks who are going live and, and and talking about this stuff because it really matters to have those other voices. Oh, the rising people. Um, uh, Crystal and Sajer were just uh, amazing and had amazing panels and amazing people out in the field. Oh, and uh, Status Two, of course, Jordan Sheridan, he was out there and he was doing stuff. All of that, we spent more time on YouTube switching between, you know, folks who were, who we know and trust are actually trying to get the story. But then you flip back over to CNN and MSNBC to check and see what the official narrative is. You know, what are the approved things that are people saying? And you kind of compare the two. And um, so we're doing that. And all of a sudden, here comes Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar out of nowhere is is, uh, giving a speech. And so we turn it up. And, you know, start uh, listening to, uh, to, to what she said. And it was definitely, like I said, definitely one of those speeches you'd give if you were uh, coming in like third. So uh, she, she, she takes this aggressive tone. This is from the um, DeVere article. Takes this aggressive tone uh, about uh, we are punching above our weight. Uh, and then a few minutes after Klobuchar finished, uh, Biden appears on stage and he has the things that, that he has to say. It seems very contrived to me. It seems like the party was like, well, we'll let Klobuchar go first and then we'll let Biden go because we know he's doing really bad. And, uh, um, and then, you know, Bernie gets up there and he gives his, he gives his kind of usual, uh, you know, working class, class consciousness pep talk, which I needed. I really needed it at that point. Um, and was very upbeat. And he, he said, you know, we feel like the numbers will reveal that, that this is all in our favor, blah, blah, blah. You know, and at the time, they were, their numbers at 40% showed a, five-point difference between Buttigieg and Sanders. So a five-point difference, at least in the popular vote. And I believe what's going on is they're trying to steal this, uh, they're trying to steal this thunder from Bernie Sanders and, and actually steal a win from him by weighting those densely populated counties less than the less uh, densely populated, the more sparsely populated rural counties, you know? So, so, so like basically they made this, this caucus and this primary be like the Senate where rural voters have an outsized uh, voice compared to those in uh, urban centers and cities and universities and so, so on and so forth. Uh, Edward Isaac DeVere actually wrote an article that I felt was worth reading and and uh, not just uh, uh, being very aggravated about. Usually he's the guy who is hitting Sanders. He's been known to hit uh, a friend of the show, Alan Grayson, pretty hard 
Uh, he's, uh, uh, he's terrible on many counts, but he's 100% right on the audacity of Pete. He starts out, uh, Dateline, Des Moines, Iowa. The thing about a victory speech generally is that it requires a victory. But when this year's Iowa caucus didn't quickly produce one, Pete Buttigieg claimed the win anyway. That's amazing. That's an amazing lead. That that's just like you don't see that very often. That's just he's just telling the truth right there, just straight up, unvarnished. Um, so uh, the other candidates spoke last night and mumbled. Last night mumbled about the mess and blah blah blah. Proclaimed on to New Hampshire. Here's Pete Buttigieg. Uh, in his very first sentence, he uh, he declares, "quote." An improbable hope has become an undeniable reality. Oh, oh my God. We don't know the results, Budigich said, uh, adding in a riff that was like the rest of the speech designed to evoke President, former President Barack Obama. He continues, but we know by the time it is all said and done, Iowa, you have shocked the nation because by all indications, we are going on to New Hampshire victorious. And uh, it did not go unnoticed that Pete Buttigieg, uh, the tie and the, the uh, jacket that he was wearing, I believe were Pantone color matched to the Obama logo. It could, his attire could not have been more of the palette of the Obama logo. And it was just, it was, uh, uh, it was annoying, you know, now I have my candidate like most of us do, and I want to see my candidate do well, but I'm going to call it as I see it when, when you've got these other candidates who are, you know, this isn't about punching above your weight. This is about, you know, uh, uh, taking something that isn't yours. This is this is a you know to, trying to make off with a victory that that really doesn't belong to you. And and let's just be honest. What happened here is the party made sure to deny Bernie Sanders primetime uh, uh, speech ability, speech time to give a solid victory speech, you know, whether it was via popular vote or delegate uh, allotment, however it works out, we still don't know how it's working out, but he was denied that ability. And someone tweeted at me that it reminded them of when McGovern had to wait till 2 a.m. to give his victory speech on, uh, on uh, winning the nomination. And too much of what is going on right now is is reminding me of uh of those days um so we covered shadow it's ex hillary staffers i i created an image and i've been sharing it out with uh the uh little uh linkedin bios of each of the the staffers with a, it it's a group photo of the operation which i think is six or seven people maybe five people there's the CEO and the CTO and the COO. And um, so these are all the people that, that run shadow that failed to be able to count votes. 
they're all ex-Hillary staffers. So, you know, there's people who support Hillary Clinton. There's people who don't support Hillary Clinton. But ex-Hillary staffers, <clears throat> these are soldiers. These are soldiers for Hillary. And, uh, you know, kind of like the guys who landed on the islands, the uh, Japanese fighters who landed on the islands and, and uh, lost touch with the rest of the world after World War II, I kind of feel like there's a lot of people from, from that campaign who haven't gotten the message that that campaign is over. 2016 has passed, and we're in a new place. <clears throat> they should not be. Point being, they should not be in the role of counting votes. Hillary Clinton ex-staffers should not be, I'm just going to repeat it, they should not be in the role of counting votes. That would be like, like Mike Pence putting together a, a data team so that, so that they could count the votes in the Republican primary, whenever there's another Republican primary or whatever. Uh, it's inherently not fair. It is inherently a conflict of interest. Um, and a lot of people talked about that. And, and another thing that was, that was kind of annoying around that is that you get all these concerned trolls who are like following you around like, ah, don't spread conspiracy theories. Look, we're talking about the optics here. You know, Pete Buttigieg was part of the, the, the discussions with Democratic leadership, uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, on how to stop Bernie. He was part of those talks. He went and gave a huge victory speech that he didn't deserve. He shouldn't have done that. And, and he uh, uh, funded, he's, he's provided, it looks like $42,000 to this shadow group, the shadow LLC, however they want to be called, uh, you know, for what? Consulting. We don't know. We don't know what he gave the $42,000 for. He says it is for text messages. I've, as campaign manager, I've run lots of, uh, you know, operations where you, uh, you know, do hustles and you have people doing texting and, um we didn't late we didn't have to do outlays up front of twenty one thousand dollars and then another twenty one thousand dollars. That's not how that worked. We got billed at the end of the cycle for you know however much uh, work we did using the tool. That's how that worked. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what this is about you know twenty one thousand dollars and twenty one thousand dollars and how that was spent. You know maybe. Maybe it was a retainer. We don't know. But it's fishy, and the optics are bad. Uh, I don't think anybody would be talking about this if, uh, what's his name? Mayor Pete didn't uh, go on uh, television and declare victory. Nobody would care. If he didn't go out there and start declaring victory and start, you know, acting like he's, you know, this improbable winner, you know, he's this corn-fed boy from South Bend, Iowa, or South Bend, Indiana, one of the I states, and uh, 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 so improbable that this guy would 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 win a uh, a, a, a primary, you know, um, uh, LGBT status notwithstanding, uh, you know. So, but anyway, 
how do you figure out how do you figure out a problem like Pete Buttigieg? Um, I say have a look at this Corey Pine article in The Baffler called Class Carpetbagger. It is wonderful. It is a great read. And uh, Pine contrasts his background, having gone to an Ivy League school, and uh, Pete Buttigieg's background as having gone through the Ivy League schools. And, uh, and examining this from a different class perspective, because Corey Pine does not come from money. Corey Pine comes from this, the kind of background that I'm very familiar with, where you've got crazy alcoholic relatives, and there's no money, and things are always up in the air and crazy. And, you know, going to college was not something that was, you know, on the menu. Like, we didn't, in my household, we didn't start doing SAT preparation in the 10th or 11th grade. It wasn't even, it wasn't even considered. It wasn't something that, uh, that was pushed upon us. Now, I've also had the opportunity to leave that kind of environment and then <clears throat> live for two years, the last two years of high school, in a very upper middle class uh, household in another place. And uh, I got to see how the other half lived and went to school with you know, people who were Ivy League bound and people who were you know, very smart and very wealthy. And, uh, and that was an, an education in itself. And I was really glad to have that before I, before I went to college and just to have that in general. It's, it, it was like being able to see through, um, to see into worlds that I would have never been able to see into because of my social economic condition. I would have never, ever um, known the people that I know and had the opportunities that I did had I not been taken in by an aunt and uncle that were like, oh my gosh, you're, you know, our relatives are too crazy and they shouldn't have a teenager in the house. So that was essentially what it was. So Corey Pine, uh, his contrast here is so heartfelt to me. He says, um, uh, the differences emerge between him and Pete, uh, that, that, uh, you know, Pete's dad was a, was a, a professor and a Gramsci scholar and spoke many different languages and you know, seemed to be on track to do the college thing from day one, uh, while Pine's father was frequently unemployed and always alcoholic. My mother is a stranger to me and has been homeless for most of my life. My, uh, like, like Corey Pine, my biological mother, very similar, only she was the alcoholic, so it was alcoholic and homeless and yada, yada, yada. And really, she was too less of a stranger than what I would have liked. She often floated in and floated out. These are the kind of things that make life difficult for, you know, kids trying to get through school. Um, Pete and I both had book pu books published with our names on the front. Pete and I both traveled the world and uh, have seen the dirty business of American empire up close. Uh, Pete Budiich... <laughs> From his perspective, 
when in college uh, he read Graham Greene's The Quiet American as an undergraduate, Pete wrote a thesis on it, which has been described as a total misreading that's overly sympathetic to the titular character, a young CIA officer in Vietnam. Well, Pine's takeaway from Green's book, which I think is like what's where most of us fall, if you've seen the movie The Quiet American or if you read it, um, that colonialism is an evil inflicted upon the undeserving by the unctuous, overprivileged, and naive. You know, so already you get a, you get this kind of set up right here, you know, with the uh, undergrad and, and how two different undergrads look at the same text. And, and walk away with two different, completely, totally different competing uh, thoughts on it. Pine continues, uh, the, it, 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 and this kills me because I, I had this experience too. Pine continues that when he was in high school, his, his guidance counselor didn't think that he was college material and thought that he needed discipline and, and he needed to do service work or the military. Now, you get that a lot when you're not a child of privilege. My guidance counselor at my high school, which was Satellite High, by the way, in Satellite Beach, Florida, shout out to the, the Scorpions over there. My college, my counselor over there told me to give my GED or to go to the alternative school, or maybe learn welding, and I am not exaggerating. He was such a dick. Oh, my God. Anyway, so moving on. Uh, he goes on to Harvard and Oxford and finds a job at McKinsey and Company, um, and then Pine says, although I did well academically, no one taught me how to job hunt. Now, this is something that I've seen in people of my class over and over and over again. And where I went to school and the things that I studied, what the people that I was surrounded with, they were doing, they were doing arts and liberal arts and performing arts. There was a, there was a lot of music in East Tennessee where I was. And so Actually, the music people had it had a had it a lot better with regard to um, job hunting. But the rest of us who were doing social sciences and and, and that and, and the arts, there's no job hunting coursework. You know, when when you're in the art department, for instance, and you're you're doing your bachelor's and you have a senior show. It's not like you get information on how you take that senior show and, and you start moving your uh, production out into galleries. There's no, no one tells you how to do that. You're just really kind of left on your own. Where you pick that up is if you live in, if you come from a socioeconomic background where there's where you're surrounded by people who are going to make sure that you are connected in that you get the right internships and that you get the right first job. So, you know, he gets McKenzie and Pine works as a janitor in a hospital doing housekeeping. Uh and moving on, uh I love this part. It, his comrades, Corey Pine's comrades in housekeeping, uh, 
did not need more paperwork <clears throat> while while Pete Buttigieg is doing McKenzie and he's doing this management stuff where you go into places like hospitals and you tell them how to make more money and you fire people and then you put more busy work on top of people who are already stressed to the hilt. He says, you know, his housekeeping crew did not need more paperwork or whatever else Pete is selling. They needed free health care, housing subsidies, and a labor union. But these items aren't on Pete's agenda. And what's worse, he acts like a management spy. I remember this. I'm wondering if you guys might remember this. Uh, the clearest illustration of this was last year when he showed up at a United Auto Workers picket line and awkwardly interrogated a man holding a sign as to how much money was left in the union strike fund. That was just the weirdest thing. That was that was as bad as Pete, you know, trying to drink a 40 ounce in a in a paper bag. Uh, uh, it, it, that was just terrible. Uh, he also and I didn't know this, and I think that this needs to be talked about a little more. The Intercept reported that Pete's campaign was hiring workers through a company called Amazon Mechanical Turk, a nefarious project to crush labor power forever by turning every imaginable job into soul-crushing, ultra-low-wage uh, piecework. Yeah, so that's like gig economy stuff. While most campaigns are striving to unionize and pay people fairly and recognize that, no, we can't work 18-hour days, seven days a week, you know, uh, some people are starting to, to come to terms with that, not Pete Buttigieg. Uh, and this is the, this is the kicker. Corey Pine says, when I look at Pete, I see the face of America's rotten sham of meritocracy, and I know I'm not alone. Now, what we saw last night in Iowa was another uh, example of this sham of meritocracy. You, those people on Hillary Clinton's campaign who lost lost to a to a crazy television reality show host they should never be employed anywhere ever again right but no they fail up they create another business and then they're hired into another campaign that the party is just salivating to uh to promote so you know where is that meritocracy by the way chris hayes did a book the Twilight of the Elite, of the Elite, Twilight of the Elite, which was uh, a pretty good read. And I wonder if he remembers having written it because he doesn't seem to act like it anymore. But it is, it, it's a pretty good critique of the sham of meritocracy, you know, that the, the best will rise, the, the best and brightest rise to the top. If you're a poor kid like, like me or like Corey Pond, uh, you know damn well that we don't live in a meritocracy. You know damn well that, that we live in a Rolodex autocracy. It is who you know. It's who your parents know. It's, you know, what the connections are. It has absolutely nothing to do with your ability. It has nothing to do with your talent. And let me tell you, if you believe in your talent and you believe what you're doing, 
Right now, you have more opportunity to strike out on your own, to self-publish a book, to self-publish your music, to self-publish the things that you're doing, to do a broadcast, to do what it is that you do. Just fucking do it and fuck everybody, you know, because we need to hear your voice and you need to do your work and no one's going to come along and give you money or, well, some might, but they're not, you're not going to be able to do it on, on, on your terms. Do it. You know, you're not going to get paid for a while to do it, but you're going to build your book and you're going to build a career off of the stuff that you love. If you just do it, you must just do it. You got to find a reason to do it, but do it. Um, because you don't got those rich parents like uh, like like other people have. Uh, I love this piece. I I just adore it. Um, he talks about he talks about privilege. He talks about um, how Pete Buttigieg is for the first time in his life experiencing that his class privilege is a liability. And you can see this every time he talks, every time he tries to, to, to relate to an audience. He has nothing relatable because he's an empty vessel. There is nothing within him. There's a, in the last debate, you saw him you know, do this uh, vocal, vocal affectation where he was trying to sound very profound. This is something that, that, that Pine mentions. And I noticed it. I picked up on it. And it was so annoying. And every time he, he responded to a debate question, he went into this, uh, into this zone, into this, like, like, you know, pretension zone. And no matter what he was saying, it just fell flat, you know. Uh, it was one of his worst debates, and I think that it was exactly because of, um, uh, you know, he's he has nothing inside. He's not drawing upon real experience, and he's not drawing upon um, the things that make people human. He has no story to tell. This is, again, from Pine. And he's comparing... Uh, Pete Buttigieg to Bill Clinton. And remember, Bill Clinton came from Hope, Arkansas and had this rags to riches, not riches, but the riches now. He had this this uh, pulling himself by the bootstraps kind of story. And it was moving, you know. I remember it. I remember being moved by it. But it was real and it was authentic. And Pete Buttigieg doesn't have that. He doesn't have a narrative. He doesn't have a story to tell. And in addition to that, he he doesn't have, you can just feel this, that he doesn't have a moral core and he doesn't have a center from which he operates out of. Everything has been calculated for him to become president, to climb the ladder, to just get to the next phase. And then hopefully one day I will be able to, you know, hold all this power and then I'll, I'll what do stuff. He's, he's a, he's a, um, he's a, he's a conservative. He's an unapologetic, again, uh, Corey Pine. He's an unapologetic, unapologetic conservative. Uh, 
in that he doesn't think class matters at all, except to, except to the extent that he can exploit it. He wants to exploit class. He wants to have this like folksy, you know, I'm from South Bend, you know, and I might drink a 40 in a paper bag if, if asked nicely. <clears throat> but it's phony as all get out. And the, the, the vast mass of us out here in the world, we can feel that, you know. I think that a lot of people who are voting for Buttigieg and a lot of people who are supporting him actually are, um, they really are honest conservatives. They really do embrace their conservatism. But Buttigieg doesn't do that. He wants to, he wants to kind of like be on the sly, like I'm, I, I'm a conservative, but we're not going to, we're not going to showcase that. Um this whole thing about being in the military is uh, also, you know, quite the uh, the uh, show horse kind of thing. You know, he goes into the military um, as a naval intelligence officer on a direct commission. This is the polar opposite of walking up to the recruitment office and enlisting. You know, he's he's entering the military at the top and does like a six month tour uh, in a uh, in a uh, forward operating base just to sort of just to kind of be like a tourist. And now he can say, "Well, I was a veteran." Blah 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 blah. He was no veteran. He was no veteran the way Tulsi Gabbard was. Tulsi Gabbard was actually patching people up, you know, who were wounded from the war. She was actually seeing action. She was actually in the fight. And she joined that fight for the kind of reasons that so many people I know joined after 9-11, you know, and it's not something I would have done, but um, uh, a lot of people did, and I can totally understand how they, why they did that. That's not Pete Buttigieg. He just, he just did, he just, it, he was a tourist. Um, and after he gets out of the military, uh, unlike John Kerry, who is an abashed blue blood officer, uh, who had the decency to throw away his medals and march against the war, in Vietnam uh, when he returned. Uh, instead, prior to his commission, Pete toured the Imperial occupation zones as a civilian profiteer with McKenzie. Yeah. So he was out there not to fight the good fight, not to uh, uh, not to win anything that's large or be part of anything that's larger. He was there to secure a contract for his client. And he was there to, looking for opportunities to exploit. He was looking for value to extract. And I feel like when he looks out in an audience, I get the feeling that he's looking out at the audience with those same sensibilities. What can I get out of you? How can I exploit you? What can I extract out of you? Uh, this is who Pete Buttigieg is. Um, I really want to get to this part. Pine says, I would never claim Pete has faced challenges in his life or hasn't faced challenges in his life. 
I wouldn't claim that. Pine wouldn't claim that. He says, I have no right to lecture gay people about their particular struggles, racial minorities about their views um, or about theirs or women about theirs or so on and so forth. And then he says, so please, can someone explain to me why rich kids feel so gratuitously entitled to tell the working class how to live? Go on. I'll wait. I really want to hear this explanation, especially from Pete, but any rich kid will do. Please, Brett Stevens, come to my home and explain it to my face. Bring your own Beaujolais. Why the hesitation? Are you afraid? Do you think the prone are poor to violence? <laughs> Let him think that. Um, do you think we are unbalanced and unpredictable? Well, my parents were. Um, damaged, pitiable, again, my parents. Uh, that, per that perhaps some form of mandatory national service might help us, like his guidance counselor told him in high school, like, like my guidance counselor was, was suggesting to me, like, you're not cut out for college, this and that. Um, they believe that we don't understand our own plight. They believe that, um, that, uh, uh, that there's nothing to fix. Neoliberals like Pete Buttigieg are hanging around the, 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 the political world in order to extract stuff. That's all they want. They want to exploit uh, uh, resources wherever they see them. They want to exploit opportunities. They want to deliver value for their clients, for their patrons. And, you know, really, we're just obstacles in the way. Uh, that's what I got out of Pete Buttigieg's um, victory speech last night, and I was sickened. I thought Klobuchar's speech was sickening, but then here comes here comes this guy. Okay, I've run a little bit over. I wanted to wrap up my own rapidy wrap before um, 7:45 or 6:45, and uh, if you want to call in. Again, the number, I will find it, swear, oh, here it is. The guest call-in number is 909-265-9104, and be sure to press 1 to be put in the host queue. I'm going to play for you a little bit of, a little bit of bumper music, and we'll be right back in just a second. Da 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 da
We're back. We are back. Uh, popular vote was 62%. Reporting is uh, Sanders at 26.2% and Pete Buttigieg at 25.1%. Uh, Warren follows at 20% and then Biden and Ford. And I think that the story coming out of Iowa uh really should be about Biden. Biden in a very weak fourth position, Biden at 13.4% with just right near Klobuchar who has 12.4. You know, Biden was supposed to be the great savior, the big old electable guy and Iowa is a rural, you know, it's a white state, you know, like, you know, with the supposedly moderate conservative voters or whatever, the uh, establishment, the uh, um, conventional wisdom is. And he didn't walk away with it. He didn't struggle for it. He barely, he, he was barely on the ground. He barely had a presence. Uh, so, and and you're seeing that in these numbers. You're seeing him with 13.1%. Now, going into this, some of the predictions that I heard about uh, Bernie's chances of winning. Now, I was always saying that Bernie would do well. I didn't think that Bernie would particularly, um, you know, run away with things. MSNBC, uh, by the way, MSNBC is showing Pete ahead of Bernie. This is interesting. Pete ahead with Bernie was 62% in Iowa. This is different than the poll that is, uh, that I'm seeing on, that I'm reporting from, do, 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 popular vote, 62%. Numbers. I don't have the they. The assumption here is that this was released from the Iowa Democratic Party. So the numbers that's being reported by political polls differ from what is being reported by MSNBC, which is showing Buttigieg ahead of Sanders by two points. Warren at 18, and then Biden at 16. This is interesting. This is super interesting because at 62, <laughs> it's 62% uh, reporting, and I've I've been seeing a lot of people talking about the uh, caucus areas that have yet to be reported, but they're in um, more densely populated areas. There's more people to count, so on and so forth. And they expect those to be Bernie friendly. Um, notice, notice that Biden at 13.1% is below 15%. Now that, that matters for other states more than it does for Iowa, but below 15%, that's, that's red flag territory. That's like, Hey, maybe you need to, uh, you know, rethink your campaign kind of point. And so what, what MSNBC is, is reporting is that Biden is over that by one point. Now, Iowa also has delegate counts the state delegates that each of these um, 
candidates win from from you know having whatever the popular vote. Buttigieg has 362 of these uh, state assigned delegates, and Sanders has 337. So that's a difference of 26, 25, 25 difference in I, it, math. Math is bad. Um, but 362 for Buttigieg, 337 for Sanders. Um, these are very interesting numbers. So let's go back to let's go back to who hasn't. Who hasn't um, who hasn't reported yet? So we got 62% coming in. Here we go. Um, two, I'm looking at two overlapping maps. Uh, the dots are the counties missing data right now, with the size being related to how much data is missing from these counties. The colors are the same. The colors are the different candidates polling from last week, notably blue being Sanders in color. Okay, so I'm looking at a map of Iowa with a giant circle around Des Moines a medium-sized circle in the Cedar Rapids area around the uh, university, uh, another medium-sized circle around Cedar Rapids, and teeny tiny little bubbles like out in the middle of nowhere, so on and so forth. But all of the little parts of this state that are blue, that represent Bernie uh, Sanders, mysteriously, that is where the shadow people can't seem to find the votes for them. You can't seem to report them. This is a, this is um, wow. <laughs> to be expected, I suppose. Um, here's another one. Oh, here's another one. Yes, again, this is this is uh, repeating what I just said. So I've got like it's three different confirmations that the precincts with the with the missing data are all uh, Bernie Bernie areas. Ain't ain't that something? Ain't that something? You know, you gotta wonder. You you, you gotta wonder. Um, you know, when when you're in a relationship with someone and they tell you what they're about, you know, like like like. This is this is a, a cliche about people who are on the road to divorce. That someone will tip their hat and let the other person know that they aren't on the same team or something like that. And what we often do when we're in dysfunctional relationships is we uh, we ignore that because we don't have a place to put it. You know, we deny it. We uh, we we. We uh, fill ourselves delusions, you know. Oh, they didn't mean that. They're just being funny. That's not really the way they think. Da, 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 da. The Democratic Party, uh, Schumer, Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi, and a few other of these functionaries met with Pete Buttigieg under the auspices of how are you going to stop Bernie? 
stopping Bernie is the number one thing that they need to do, that they feel like they, they need to do. And, you, you know, you got to take them, you got to start taking these people at their word that even though we're in the same party and even though, you know, standing side by side at debates and whatnot, we're not on the same team, you know, and that's not coming from us, you know, all these calls for unity and everything, that's not coming from the Bernie side. That's uh, the, the Bernie side is sitting there going, yeah, we'd love to see some unity from you guys. We'd love to see you not have meetings and try to figure out ways to destroy us. That would be awesome. Um, however, however, such is the case. Such is the case. Uh, I want to play, I want to play this just so you have a, uh, um, a sense of how gross this was. Iowa, you have shocked the nation. You have made me, in my own mind, the winner of the Iowa caucus. Dun, dun, dun. That was so awful seeing that on television. I, I, I just couldn't believe it. It was bad form on, on Klobuchar's part, but however awful she was, was completely overshadowed by uh, the way that, that Buttigieg uh came along and and uh, jumped up and down to declaring victory. And you know what's really funny about that is that Joe Biden, not Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg talked to reporters. I'm trying to find that note. That's why I'm making all this noise with, with these papers. It's on the Devere article. Um, Pete Buttigieg was telling people, spreading rumors before the caucus, that the Sanders people were going to declare victory and or uh, they, uh, claim that there was rigging. So we mentioned this last night, and I'll mention it, I'll mention it again. There is a... Uh, you know, we were talking about the shadow people, the shadow group, which was doing the, the app that couldn't count delegates. I, I think the problem there is that it, it, it wasn't programmed to, to, to count delegates for Bernie. You know, it's just, it, it just started locking up. Um, but the, the Democrats, this is a story that was in CNN that, that, that my husband alerted me to. He was, he was quite alarmed at this. And, uh, when 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 he gets his when when he gets his backup, I, I have to pay attention because he doesn't often do that. So the Democrats, this title here is the Democrats' new online troll fighters make 2020 debut in Iowa. Now it seems that the Democratic Party was very concerned and is very concerned with uh, with speech on Twitter, and they and they feel the need to police speech on Twitter, and so. Before the caucuses, they put out all of this messaging about how the Democratic Party has developed capabilities of its own. Uh, 
to tackle online disinformation. And in particular, in particular, you guys, they were um, touting a tool that was built in-house at the DNC. Now, I don't know who built this tool in-house at the DNC, whether it was the shadow people or what it was. Um, But the DNC has spent money and built an application to monitor Twitter traffic. Now, today we've seen a lot of people, a lot of accounts, suspended from Twitter. Long-time accounts, um, Polytickle and America Vest, and uh, I'll think of another couple, but there was a bunch that, that were suspended today. A lot of people are uh, starting to share their contact information for Mastodon, which is just uh, gross, but it's I mean, really, if if what it what it is, if what it is is happening is that they're purging Bernie accounts, then you know what else are you going to do? You've got to share information with people. Uh, a new weapon among the new weapons in the Democrats' online arsenal is a monitoring tool called Trendalyzer. The Trendalyzer. Um, and so, like, the trend, I looked this up today. The Trendalyzer has been, or, or Trendalyzer, has been around for quite some time. And it's it's a, a, a service. It's kind of like a news syndication service. Kind of, remember when Peter Dow wanted to do that, like, uh, Verit, you know, news that had been verified or chunks of information that were verit. They were they had like a verit seal of approval. Um, that's kind of the way Trendalyzer seems to be working online. Like it, it just aggregates stories. It just at, <laughs> let's be honest. It just aggregates the propaganda that the Democratic Party wants you to see and make sure that you don't see the other stuff. And that's just as it's just as nasty as any, you know, D-list publication that you might go to. I mean, if you go to the Trendalyzer website, you get these, like, pop-up ads for, you know, belly fat and that sort of thing. It's just, um, it just seems very low rent, you know. So, but anyway, that's who the Democratic Party has been in bed with to make sure that Democrats are not talking about things that we shouldn't be talking about online. And uh, and remember also that on Saturday this weekend, Pete Buttigieg also uh, complained, one of his supporters complained, and was able to spike a poll from the Des Moines Register. Now, this Des Moines Register poll is a very famous thing, and they do it all every presidential cycle. It's considered a very... Uh, reliable poll, and it's one that um, people look forward to. And I, I and I don't have I haven't been able to find any information where it, in the past it had been spiked. Now, spiking a poll, spreading rumors about Bernie Sanders's supporters, claiming premature victory. Spreading rumors about Bernie Sanders supporters uh, um, complaining of a, of a rigged process, and meanwhile developing applications to monitor tr- Twitter traffic, partnering with another group called Trendalyzer to uh, to 
aggregate and push out propaganda. And meanwhile, these assholes can't even create an app that counts votes or counts caucus goers in Iowa. Because they're paying attention to everything else in the world except for what they should be paying attention to. So you got to ask. You got to go back to why is this? You know, they had that meeting earlier this year with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer about what are we going to do about the Bernie Sanders problem? How are we going to make sure that, that Bernie Sanders doesn't win because that is their nightmare scenario. Uh, there's a video that's been circulating for since last night, and I'm not sure I've got it on here, but it's a it's a, a pundit, a political analyst talking about. Oh yeah, it's from it's from Morning Joe. And he's talking about how the nightmare scenario that they have to avoid is is Bernie Sanders and that they have to address that from within the party. And then uh, uh, Casey Casey Hunt replies that there is panic, that internally uh, Democratic Party elites are panicking and they're trying not to show it on the outside and they don't want people to see that. You know, I'm sure that people saw over the weekend all of the intense uh, activity around the Bernie Sanders campaign and what that looked like in places like Cedar Rapids, going back to that map, in places like, um, uh, you know, where just right now where they just happen to be unable to count the votes. This is where those giant uh uh, rallies are happening with Nina Turner and Vampire Weekend and Michael Moore. Um, so that's where we're at. Let's see. I'm going to try one more thing and see if I see if there aren't any uh, newer numbers. <laughs> David Sirota tweets out, you know, David Sirota is uh, Bernie Sanders' speechwriter. He says, I just watched 62% of the 1986 World Series, and clearly the Red Sox won the whole thing that year. <laughs> That's pretty good. So there's there's a lot, there's a lot of, um, there's a, a lot of 62%. Breaking, Democratic Party says 49ers won Super Bowl. <laughs> a lot of that a lot of that going on. Okay, so what do we do with this, guys? What do we do? That's the question. What we have before us is a process that is completely rigged. We have a process before us that it's not like they're passively trying to get rid of Bernie Sanders. It's not like they're passively saying like, oh, you know, we'll just the way that they've been doing, we'll just do a Bernie blackout. We'll just shadow ban Bernie. We'll just make sure that that no one sees him. Uh, so that didn't work. And now they're just actively going after him. And they're actively going after him. It seems to me using the Democrat, using the apparatus of the Democratic Party. 
Because remember, the votes in Iowa are counted by the Iowa Democratic Party. They're not counted by a supervisor of elections or a third party who is uh, biased or, or whatnot. They're counted by party elites. And now we find out that there was a, a an app that was created by ex-Hillary staffers that was supposed to filter that information into the Democratic Party, the, the Iowa State Democratic Party, filtering that information into them so that then it could be refiltered out to us. This is active fuckery. I'm sorry, I'll put something in the damn trust jar, but there's really no other word for it. This is active fuckery. They are actively trying to uh, trying to damage one of the candidates running in the race. While at the meantime, going on and on about this 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 unity, like what what does unity even mean when they're when they're actively doing this this kind of thing, and. You know, Bernie guys, Bernie guys, I got to tell you, um, I bite my tongue a lot. I really do. Uh, I don't, I don't confront people, especially in, in, in real life, you know, just like, you know, they'll say stupid shit to me about Bernie Sanders or his campaign or the Bernie bros. And, and I hold on to it and I circle back. You know, I'll send them an email, you know, uh, I'll provide them with some information in a setting and in a, and framing it up in a way that isn't just going head to head with somebody where they're like, oh, a bunch of Bernie bros are just mean online and therefore, you know, Bernie Sanders is bad. You know, the, there is no sense in having that conversation with somebody. It's not going to do you any good. What you can do, however, is you can circle back and you can talk to their spouse and say they're wrong, you know, or, <laughs> or yeah, you can, you can, you can address things in, in much better ways. And, and you got to start being smart about communication. I am seeing people right now talk about uh, sharing information about how to, scrutinize and scrub your followers on Twitter. This is very important. And I think people need to know about this. There is a strategy that uh, political trolls have, have taken to, which is they'll follow you and then they'll lock their account. These are always burner accounts. They're always just like, you know, 30 followers or five followers or whatever. And so you'll get this follower and they'll have like no followers and you're like, fine, whatever. And then a day later, their their account is locked down. And then you start noticing that there are mentions in your threads that you can't see, you know, like where it says more mentions and then there's nothing. Or, you know, it seems like somebody might be having a conversation with somebody who isn't there. This isn't somebody who's blocked, by the way. I'm aware of what that looks like. So go through your followers. If you're on Twitter, go through your followers right now. And look at all of the people who have locked accounts that you don't follow. 
This only applies if you don't follow them. If you follow them, that's fine. You can see what they talk about. They can see what you talk about. But if somebody is following you and they have a locked account, then they can snitch tweet and they can do all kinds of messed up shit. <laughs> and you will never know because they have a locked account. Go through your followers and scrub those followers. Do it now. Also, get familiar with your settings. Get familiar with how to lock your accounts. Now, you might want, and hear me out here, you might want to lock your account down at night. Like, let's say, you know, you, you get into a, a, a big thread with a, a couple of blue checks and they're spreading a bunch of misinformation and it's not like, you know, the, the, the trendalizer misinformation trolls are going to come after them. They're not. What will happen overnight is that people will swarm you. And if you get 80, if you get 80 reports on your account in an hour, you know, it's a number of reports times or divided by a, a, a duration, a, amount of time. If you get 80 reports in an hour, they will suspend your account. And people, the way that people swarm, let me just give you it. Let me just lay this out for you. People use Facebook and Twitter in conjunction. Okay. So uh, you might be familiar with the Horse Whisperer. Horse Whisperer has a Facebook group or is part of a Facebook group that has more than 10,000 people that does nothing but share information about who to report on on Twitter and how to swarm them and when to swarm them and how to swarm, what to swarm them on, blah, 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 blah. They, they're, they're acting like an army. And, they, and this makes sense coming from the horse whisperer because we know that he is a marketing a, a strategist and this is the kind of thing and I was a marketing strategist and this is the in certain forms of marketing this is something you would probably have picked up for a while in around 1999 and 2000 hmm. it was 2000 because it was after 9-11 I uh, worked for a national music magazine as the art director and um, one of the things that the labels were doing, this wasn't the bands, this wasn't the artists themselves, but this was something the labels were doing, was setting up street teams. This is like 2001, you guys. Setting up street teams, uh, paying people to be uh, guerrilla marketers for a particular act. this is what we're experiencing now writ large in social media. And because of the way that people have um, coalesced and siloed in their own little tribal affiliations, you've got, you've got people that you don't have to pay to go and do rotten stuff to other people. They're, 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 they're happy to do it. You know, they're, they're like, I'll do my part. And, you know, Hillary army or whatever it is. Uh, that's, that's where that comes from. Um, 
hold on, I'm getting some more numbers right now. Buttigieg in non-Iowa polling averages. This is interesting. Buttigieg in non-Iowa polling averages. Nationally, he's polling at 6.5%. In South Carolina, Buttigieg is polling at 5.5%. In He's in single digits in every state except for New Hampshire, where he's pulling at 13%. So all of that is really interesting. So look, if you're on Twitter, you need to be very careful about how you are posting right now because they're coming after you. If you see people concerned trolling you, uh, don't just mute them, block them. Because what happens when you mute somebody is that they can still uh, tweet, um, snitch tweet, and they can still report. You just got to block them. Just block them. You know, circle back. If, if, if it hurts your soul, if it hurts your conscience, circle. promise to circle back in a week and revisit it. <clears throat> See if you made a mistake. But while things are hot right now, do not hesitate to block people. And it's self-defense because you're going to get kicked off of Twitter and you're going to have to start a new account if you get swarmed by these crazed um, Hill staffers, essentially. Um, I am going to... I'm going to play another little piece of music and come back in just a moment and we'll have a little bit more to talk about.
Shadow Incorporated. We sincerely regret regret the delay in reporting the results of last night's Iowa caucuses and the uncertainty it has caused to the candidates, their campaigns, blah, 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 blah. Um, Shadow Incorporated, you know, I, uh, here's uh, Nick Verona on Twitter uh, to recap. Number one, Bernie leads in Iowa polls. Number two, Iowa Dems deploy vote counting app developed by Hillary 2016 alums. Number three, app tested by Robbie Mook's consultancy. Robbie Mook, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager. Buttigieg paid $42,000 to develop the app. Number five, Iowa Dems release partial results omitting Bernie strongholds. And number six, the DNC takes over the vote count. None of this looks good. None of this looks good for democracy. Um, Bernie Sanders just now in Milford, New Hampshire says, I'm proud to tell you that last night in Iowa, we received more votes on the first and second round than any candidate. Any other candidate. Crystal Ball uh, has uh, tweeted out, she found an old tweet of Pete Buttigieg's from 2019 where he says, quote, at the risk of sounding a little simplistic, one thing I believe is that an American, in an American presidential election, the person who gets the most votes ought to be the person who wins. All right. Just so you know, this is why we talked about it today. This is why we talked about it yesterday. They changed the way the votes are are tallied up. They changed it so that um, Bernie strongholds, the densely populated areas, would be weighted less than the rural areas. So they turned the Iowa caucuses basically into uh, the, the Senate. We're still sitting here with just 62% of the votes that are uh, that are being accounted for. This is ridiculous. This has never happened. I put up a graphic yesterday on on Twitter that had the last four presidential Democratic presidential uh, uh, primaries or caucuses in Iowa, and results had been announced either. Within an hour or two of the the polls closing, or after midnight or early the next morning, nothing has ever taken this long. Uh, this this is a, this is really bad. And let's be clear, there was a purpose to this. They wanted to make sure that Bernie Sanders was unable to give a victory speech last night. Now, right now, as I'm talking, what's going on in mainstream media world and corporate media world is the State of the Union address and impeachment. So you have these two other huge uh, issues, these two uh, other two points of uh, attention. That's all they're talking about. So even if even if Bernie were to learn that he won by by you know two or three or four percent uh, in the next hour or so, <clears throat> he doesn't have a crowd gathered to do a victory speech. He doesn't have a he doesn't have an audience. It's not like the the media is going to 
switch from covering State of the Union or switch from covering impeachment to, you know, listen to Bernie Sanders, he was effectively silenced. That's the lesson out of Iowa. He was effectively silenced. And I think we need to start thinking about what that means in terms of what we do going forward and the way that we engage the process going forward. I mean, are we allies? Can we depend on um, you know people that scream unity at us? Can we depend on them to have solidarity with us? Can we depend on them to uh, to for for allyship? I mean, so far it doesn't seem like that's the case. So far, it seems like that's the opposite of the case. It seems like these are the people who are actively trying to do damage to another Democrat in the field. Uh, you know, but but uh, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Um, there is a up on up on Bernie Sanders's YouTube channel, he speaks for the first time in New Hampshire after early returns showing him winning the popular vote in the Iowa caucus. So go check that out. That is on on his YouTube channel. Uh, so far. Oh, the Washington Post just switched its homepage from showing popular vote total, totals to showing delegates. So Washington Post, instead of reporting popular vote, which is easy for people to understand, you know, because it's we're we're used to talking in terms of so and so has fifty-eight percent, so and so has forty-six percent. That's the way that we're used to hearing things. Now they're switching over to the delegate totals. Um, Nate Cohn, Nate Silver has retweeted Nate Cohn saying Buttigieg has a 74% chance to win with the most most state state delegate uh, state delegates according to our estimates. The returns so far are fundamentally representative, but Sanders has some credible pockets of remaining strength, and there's uncertainty around the satellites. Uh, so there's a Looks like there's a live forecast on the New York Times. It looks like they're um, uh, covering this. Look, guys, there's there's some decisions we have to make. We need to start thinking about who we are vis-a-vis the party. We need to start thinking about who we are um, with regard to how we... um, how we engage what is getting ready to happen in this election. This does not, this does not portend well. This is a, this is a, a bloody mess. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked to Victor Tiffany quite a few times uh, about Bernie or bust and what Bernie or bust is about. And I think that I, 
for myself, I kind of feel like it's a moot point. I kind of feel like if the party is going to go through all these machinations and over and over again, repeatedly push the Sanders people out of the party and, and push us out of the process, then I don't know what they expect in terms of us coming back and supporting their candidate, you know, that they're going to, you know, assign <laughs> to the nomination. I, I, I don't see how it's going to happen, you know. And I got to tell you personally, I would never vote for, for Pete Buttigieg. I think that he's, he's, uh, uh, he's everything that, He's everything that's bad about the Clintons and none of the Bill Clinton charm. You know, it's, he, he's just, he's just, just awful. So I'm going to leave it with, I'm going to leave this at this for now. This is where we're at. We've got quite a bit of uh, fuckery going on. And those of us who are vocal on social media are also imperiled somewhat. So I want your takeaways to be that you are going to be uh, vigilant and you're going to be careful and you are going to do what you need to do to not get suspended from Twitter. And if that means uh, locking down your account for a little while, then do that. But absolutely go down through your followers and block every single one of those uh, locked accounts that you're not following back. All right. It's just the ones you're not following back. Those are the those are the problematic ones. If you get into large discussions on uh, in blue check threads, make sure that you are blocking people who are who seem like they're going to report you. If someone seems like they're going to report you, just block them. Just do not, you know have your say, do your thing, and then get rid of them because then they can't, then they can't report you. Then, you know, you're, you're behind a wall. And look, when you look at these accounts, most of them are, you know, burner accounts. It's, it's just more of that Sally Albright, you know, kind of, we're going to create 75 you know, accounts that will do nothing but support Kamala Harris, you know, like for instance, or we're going to we're gonna create 35 accounts that do nothing but boost everything that Sally, Al Sally Albright says, and so on and so forth. That's the way this sort of marketing goes. And I can tell you from as being an insider that this is the kind of thing that isn't talked about in a mo Monday morning meeting. This is something that the creative director and the uh, agency owner, uh, you know, talk about behind a closed door, or maybe over drinks, and, uh, and and make things happen like that. Uh, this is not something that you're going to see if you're not, you know, in those meetings. And I got to tell you, I've been in those meetings, and people want that kind of of marketing. They they want to have these, uh, they want to be able to artificially boost their brand and, and, and who doesn't, you know, because they think that that's the, the that that's how they win. 
Uh, that's not how I do business. I believe authenticity wins every time. I believe that um, if you're a good candidate um, for for the office that you're running for, you should be able to get your your message across. And it just takes uh, some, you know, it just takes some work. You just got to work with somebody who is a who's a wordsmith and somebody who can, you know, design your work in a manner that tells your story. Now remember, Pete Buttigieg doesn't have a story. That is his fatal flaw. He has no narrative. And I got to tell you, most of the people that I interact with on social media, most of the people who are in my close circle, I could tell you like, the basic story of, of most of them. We all have narratives. We all have lives and places that we come from and you know, things that are important to us. And when I see a candidate like, like Pete Buttigieg, who is just a, a complete and empty vessel, it's, it's a little, it's a little uh, frightening. It's a little off-putting. Um, I think that person would stop at nothing. I think Pete Buttigieg is prepared to stop at nothing. To, uh, to 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 mess around in this campaign, and they are terrified that Joe Biden is going to tank, that he's not going to do as well as he's supposed to do in South Carolina, and that even if he does do well, that he's you know it's suffering from cognitive decline, and that's not good either. So that's why they have this mayor or ex-mayor of a small town, smallish town in uh, Indiana. This, the, this would be a nightmare. If, if Pete Buttigieg got the nomination, this would be a nightmare. And recall last night when we were doing predictions, we, we assumed that Biden was probably going to do bad, that Pete Buttigieg was probably going to come in second, and coming in second, then that would make it so that Pete Buttigieg was the story of the night, you know, that no one would cover Sanders, because they just don't cover, they shadow ban him, uh, and that they would cover Buttigieg. So essentially that part of it came true, and essentially the part uh, about Biden doing very bad has has come to fruition. So 62% are reporting right now. I don't see yet any more on those numbers. Holy Christ, it's been 24 hours. We, we really deserve an answer on this. Um, keep an eye on this. I will keep reporting on this. And... Uh, you know, we need to um, we need to uh, suit up. We need to suit up because things are getting things are getting uh, really awful. All right, I'm going to leave you a little, little bit of a friend of mine from way back, and uh, you know, you guys keep tuning in. We'll see you on Sunday for the regular show, Sunday 7 p.m. Progressive News Network. I do just a half hour on those shows, and we've got usually three or four other guests. It's good stuff, man. Like this song. It's freeze-dried.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.